Okay, so our second Bible reading this morning is Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 5, to chapter 3, verse 6, found on page 1,205 of the Bibles. So Hebrews, chapter 2, to 3, 6. This is um, titled, Warning to Pay Attention. It is not to angels that he was subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels, you crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvations perfect through that, through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had not, sorry, for this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of people. Because, of him, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to one Sorry, he was faithful to the one who appointed them, him, sorry, just as Moses was faithful in God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's, all God's house, bearing a witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful 
as the son of God's house, and we are his house. Indeed, we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. This is the word of the Lord. Like Graham would often say, keep that open. That'll be really helpful. Keep the Bible open. Um, and we'll get stuck into it. I imagine, I hope, you all exercised your democratic rights this week and yesterday and voted. Yes? Great. Fantastic. Um, one of the things I never look forward to about voting is the gauntlet that you run between the car and the poll booth. Um, you know, all the people dressed in those brightly coloured T-shirts, thrusting their flyers at you and telling you how you should vote. I've learnt over the years to take control, to calm myself. I spend a few moments in the car breathing and, and I remind myself it's okay to politely decline or, like I did yesterday, just take one of everything and, and, um, and you get through. But it always strikes me, I think, what makes them, what gives them the ability to get up that early on a Saturday morning and and to hand out those flyers. More than that, you know, this, this year it wasn't just Saturday morning, was it? It was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. What gives them the ability to do that? And then more than that, you know, when they get ridiculed and harassed and rejected like they do from me most years, what gives them the inspiration and the stamina to keep going, to keep it up, to stand there? And it's obvious, of course, they think their candidate their guy or girl is better than all the other candidates that you can vote for. And if you give them your time, they will give you a hundred reasons why. Never give them your time. <laughs> uh, what gives them the ability to take all that ridicule, take all that rejection, to stand there and say that their candidate is better than every other option? Because they believe their candidate is better. Deep down. This series that we've titled... Um, I've got my little thing somewhere. We've titled it. I know what it's called. I want to hold that up. Thanks, Sandra. We've titled this series, Jesus is Better. Because we believe he is. We believe Jesus is better than any other option you will ever get in your life. He's better when it comes to everything. Jesus is better. And you may not wear a, a highly visible t-shirt, a brightly colored t-shirt, or hand out flyers to tell others that you think Jesus is better. You might not do that. But I can imagine, I can almost guarantee that if you've held the belief that Jesus is better and you've taken that belief into any conversation with a friend, a colleague, or a family member, I can guarantee you've been ridiculed and rejected for it. And so how are you going to have the stamina to keep on going? Hebrews is written to a group of people who are in that situation, who believe Jesus is better, but are experiencing the ridicule and the rejection that comes with that. And so this sermon is to them so that they can keep on going in that time. So that they can know and be reminded, Jesus is better. He is worth it. So don't let go of him. 
Um, and, and you will find my prayer, our prayer, as we go through this series, is, is we want you to find that Jesus is better, so much so that you cannot just get up early on a Saturday morning and stand up for him, or just Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but for the rest of your life, you will find what you need to be able to stand up and say, Jesus is better each and every day, and have the confidence to do that. And over this series, we're going to look at nine reasons why Jesus is better as we look through the book of Hebrews together. So why don't we pray as we look at today's. Let me pray. Lord, I ask this morning that you would help us to hear what we need to hear from you this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Chris began this series a few weeks ago, um, and he reminded us that Jesus is better because Jesus is God's final word to us, his best and final offer to us. Uh, Today, I want to look at the second reason why Jesus is better, and that's because Jesus is a better saviour. Jesus is a better saviour, and you might like to open up in your zines to that page and take some notes. Jesus is a better saviour. A saviour is not a term that we use very often uh, outside of church circles. Um, A saviour is simply somebody who saves someone or something from danger or difficulty. Someone who saves someone or something from danger or difficulty. A saviour basically is somebody who answers our problems. He's the answer to our problems. And in this sense, he's the answer to the world's problems. We're told in verse 10 that Jesus is the author of salvation. Uh, That word author can also be translated as champion. And the picture that it evokes is of a divine hero like Hercules. Uh, In fact, that word that's used for author of salvation or champion of salvation was used for Hercules. And Hercules was often called a saviour. And so we're talking about Jesus being this divine hero hero. Um, But Jesus isn't just like other heroes in life. Jesus is better. That's what the author to the Hebrews wants to say. Jesus is a better hero. And so I want to look at this text with you this morning to discover why Jesus is a better answer to all the world's problems. Why he's a better answer to your problems. Why Jesus is a better saviour. Uh, And like Chris reminds us, um, every good sermon has three points. So I've got three answers for you this morning. And the first is that Jesus is fully God. That's the reason Jesus is a better saver, a better answer to all of our problems, because Jesus is fully God. The Bible, indeed the book of Hebrews, is crystal clear that Jesus is God. He's the Son of God. He's equal to God. He's a part of the Godhead. He's one of the persons of the divine trinity. Have a look at chapter 1, verse 3. It says, The Son, that's Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being. And I don't want to recap Chris's sermon on Hebrews 1, but I do want to point out again for us why it is important to understand that Jesus is God. Why? Jesus being God makes him a better saviour. And the first thing that we find out 
uh, and especially in chapter 2, is that in Jesus, we have God's answer to our problem. In Jesus, we have God's answer to our problem. In verse uh, 5 of chapter 2, the preacher quotes Psalm 8, an earlier part of the Bible, which is really this grand picture of what humanity and our world is meant to be. He says in verse 7, You made them, talking about humans, us, a little lower than the angels, and yet you crown them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. But the preacher goes on to explain that that's actually not our experience today, that there's a problem. He continues, In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, right now, we do not see everything subject to them. In other words, humanity were meant to serve in God's world as the ones who would take care of everyone and everything in it. That was our divine calling. But (laughs) at the moment, that's not how we see it. That's not how we experience it. Um, humans have always failed to do that, to live up to that calling. And we continually fail. Even today, you will fail in your divine responsibility to care for everyone and everything in this world. And so we need more than another human to fix the problem. We need someone who's not an inheritor of all of our flaws and someone who is able to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. If Jesus is God and he's not just human, then he can break us out of this cycle. He can truly fulfill God's plan for the world, be a divine hero and take care of everyone and everything just as it was intended to be. Um, Normally, a fatal flaw in, a, in the telling of a hero story, and you may have experienced this in some of those bad movies or bad books, you know when the hero is able to do everything and they're indestructible? And it just ruins the story, doesn't it? It's like there's no kryptonite in Superman's story. Imagine that, you know, and he was just able to win everything and do everything and it'd be like, what's the point? It's, it's kind of like, I remember as a kid, you know, when you used to say to your friend, my dad's better than your dad. But then you add in a thousand times more than you can ever say. My dad's better than your dad a thousand times more than you can ever say. And the other kid thinks, oh, I've got nothing here because as soon as I mention my dad's better, he's just going to say, well, my dad's a thousand times better than your dad. And it spoils all the fun. But when it comes to solving the world's problems, when it comes to fixing my problems, when it comes to looking after our world, I want a God-like hero. I want a hero without a kryptonite. C.S. Lewis uh, put it like this in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, If I'm drowning in a rapid river, a man who still has one foot on the bank may give me a hand which saves my life. Ought I to shout back between my gasps, no, it's not fair, you've got an advantage, you're keeping one foot on the bank. That advantage, call it unfair if you like, is the only reason why he can be of any use to me. To what will you look for to help if you will not look to that which is stronger than yourself? 
Such is my own way of looking at Jesus and what he has done for us. The writer writes at the end of verse 8, he says, Yet at present we don't see everything subject to them. We don't see the world operating the way it should. But we do see Jesus, is his next line. But we do see Jesus. Jesus, because he is God, can be God's answer to our problem. Um, But a second little thing to understand there is that in Jesus, not only does he have God's ability, because he's God, to restore the world, but he's also God's answer for everyone and everything. That's what it means. When Jesus is God, he's God's answer for everyone and everything. Um, Have a look at verse 9. It says at the end, um, but we do, see, we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Only an infinite person can offer an infinite sacrifice. Only an infinite person can offer an infinite sacrifice. Um, because Jesus is God, because he is infinite in measure and worth, his death can be the means of forgiveness for everybody, for everyone. We have, in our sense of justice, um, our sense of justice is that punishment has got to be equal to the crime. If you think of capital punishment, for example, it's a life for a life. If Jesus were merely human, then his death on the cross might be sufficient to save one. You know, maybe he's paying the price for one person. But because he is God, because he is infinite in his measure and worth and what he is offering, his death is able to bear the penalty for everyone's sin. And so he's a better saviour. What does that mean? That means he can be my saviour. His death can be the forgiveness for my sin. His death can be the forgiveness for your sin. His death can be the forgiveness for your friend's sin. And there is no end to the payment that was made that day because God made it. In a sense, it's a blank check on a limitless account. There's no end to His grace. It's for everyone. By the grace of God, He tasted death for everyone. So, The first reason Jesus is a better saviour is because he is fully God. He's fully God. And the second reason he's a better saviour is because he's fully human. That's the second thing we see in this passage. He's fully human. That God becomes man in the person of Jesus Christ is the great Christian doctrine of the incarnation, which is not just about God um, coming to us, and being with us, but it's about God taking on flesh, God being one of us. There is no sentence in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5 to 18, there is no sentence that goes by where his humanity is not referenced. Verse 9, it says, he was made a little lower than the angels, that means he became human. In verse 10, it says, he suffered That means he became human like us, able to suffer. In verse 14, it says it explicitly, since we, the children, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. 
Now, of course, we can't comprehend, at least in this lifetime, what it means for, for Jesus to be fully God and fully human. We will not fully comprehend that. Um, but this passage is telling us something important for us to know about his humanity that enables us to understand that that makes him a better saviour. And it sums it up in verse 17 and 18. Let me read verse 17 for you. For this reason, he had to be made like them, like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. There's three things in there that help us understand why Jesus becoming a human makes him a better saviour. The first is that he's our representative. He's our representative. Him becoming human means he can be our representative. In the Jewish community of the Old Testament, there was just one high priest, one person out of all of those people called to represent them before God. And he would work day in, day out in the temple. That is where God met with his people. And he would make prayers and sacrifices. He'd go to God on behalf of the people. And so because he was a member of the community, he could represent them. And his actions were their actions. His prayers and requests were their prayers and requests. His life represented their life. And perhaps the most important role for the high priest was that once a year he'd go to the temple and he'd offer what's called the sacrifice of atonement. That's this big sacrifice that would um, pay off all their debt in terms of their sin towards God. It would, atonement means at one with. The high priest, through the sacrifice he would make, would make them at one with God. And we're told here that Jesus plays that role. He becomes one of us so that he can represent us before God and offer the ultimate sacrifice of atonement in his own death. And so, as a human, he can represent us to God. That idea of him representing comes through in different places in that chapter as well. And in other places, it's more like a hero where he's kind of like that hero who fights battles on another's behalf. You can imagine the story of David and Goliath. In that story, David represents all of the Israelites and all of their army, and he fights single-handedly for them. Jesus became one of us so that he could fight for us, so that he could represent us. But the second thing about him becoming human that's significant is that not only is he our representative, but he's able to be merciful. That is, he's able to see us and our experience through our eyes. Jesus became human so he could be merciful, so he could be sympathetic and compassionate to our needs. Why is that good news for us? Why does that make him a better saviour? I just want you to imagine for a moment that God spent one day in your shoes. That God just spent one day in your shoes. He just did what you did. He saw what you saw. He experienced what you experienced. Just imagine that for a moment. How would that make you feel about your God? 
surely you'd think, ah, he, he knows what I go through. He knows the people I hang out with. He knows the work that I go to. He knows the difficulties that I have. Jesus becoming human means you don't have to imagine that anymore. You can know that. It means he's put himself in our shoes. God knows what it's like to walk on this earth. God knows what it's like to talk on this earth. God knows what it's like to have human relationships. He knows what it's like to have friends and family and enemies. He knows what it is to laugh and to cry, to experience loss, to experience hurt and pain. God knows what it's like. He even knows what it means to face death and to die. God knows you. He knows your experience. And because of that, He is compassionate and merciful towards us. Let me ask you today, is that how you see your God? Is that how you see Him? Do you believe He is merciful when He looks at your situation? Or do you think, maybe like karma, He just perfectly keeps a record of everything you've done wrong or every situation you didn't handle quite right and pays you back exactly what you deserve. Is that the kind of God you see? Or do you see a God who takes into consideration your situation, who knows you? And a part of that, it says, he's our brother, his family. That means he's able to help us. That's what it means for him to be merciful. He's able to help us. I used to love that proverb uh, Proverbs 17:17 17, 17 says, "A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity." And as a kid, I had a brother that I fought with a lot, and I thought, "Ah, oh, that passage makes sense, because brothers are born for adversity. They make life hard." And then I grew up, and I realized, actually, the best thing about my brother is that he's there for me in adversity, and that's what the proverb means. Friends are there at all times, and a brother is born for times of adversity to be there with us. Jesus is family. He's your brother. He's there with you. Verse 18 says, Because he himself suffered, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Often the first thing we think when we go through temptation or suffering is that nobody else knows what I'm going through. I'm alone in this. But if we have a saviour who's become human, who's our brother, who's family, Hebrews says later on, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weakness. When we're tempted to think nobody knows, we know that Jesus does. When we're tempted to think, uh, I can't bear this, we know Jesus has travelled the same road and he has born the same temptation, experienced the same suffering. So that's why Jesus, as human, makes him a better saviour, because he can fight our battles for us, and because he knows what we are going through. But the final point I want to make is that not only is Jesus fully human, and fully, fully God and fully human, but it's also his full-time job to be our faithful high priest. It's also his full-time job. He has a full-time job to care for us and to look after us. We're told that Jesus isn't just a merciful high priest, but it says there that he's a faithful high priest. And that word pops up again in the beginning of chapter 3, 
um, to say that Jesus is faithful over us, over God's house. That means he's trustworthy. It means he doesn't give up. It means like we sung in that song, thank you, Sandra and the team, through all our change, he faithful will remain. Jesus isn't otherwise employed. He has a full-time job, and that's to be faithful over us, to care for us. He is still the God-man champion, still representing us before God and still able to sympathize with us. He still fights our battles. He hears our prayers. He's the one and only representative that we will ever have before God. And he still sympathizes with our weaknesses. And so we're told in chapter 3, verse 1, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on him. I asked before, do you see God as merciful? I want to ask now, do you see your God as faithful? Do you see him still at work in your life today? Even when you don't deserve it. Yes, especially when you don't deserve it. Do you see him as faithful? Still at work in your life? Do you recognize that he won't give up on you? That even though you change, he won't change. And that he is able to change you. This year we're thinking about what it means... Uh, when Jesus says to us, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said to us, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. As we think about our sentness this year, and as we are sent, we're going to experience rejection and ridicule. We're going to be up against it. Uh, But we need to think and fix our thoughts on Jesus who was sent first to us. And we need to think about him completing and doing that job perfectly as our champion. We also need to think about him as faithfully still continuing to care for us. Jesus came to us, but he also went back to the Father. And he is still today, fully God and fully human, mercifully and faithfully serving as our high priest. He is faithful as God's as son over God's house and he won't let you go. Jesus is a better saviour, so don't let go of him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Saviour that we have. We thank you that he is fully God, able to deal with this world's problems and able to fix everything being God. We thank you that he's also human. We thank you that uh, that means that he can represent us, fight our battles for us. He's on our side. But it also means he's merciful. He sees the world the way we see it, through our eyes. He can see what we go through and can sympathize with us. We thank you that we also know he's still fully employed. He's faithful over us. And so this year, as we are sent, may we know that we have a better saviour. Amen.